Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. All right. We are so, so excited today to have Atusa Rubenstein here with us at Full Plateful Cup. Atusa. Hey, guys. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. And Atusa sent us a very, very modest bio. We fleshed it out a little bit. You know, some people send us six paragraphs. Atusa's was very uh, humble and polite. So let me just introduce you to Atusa if you are not familiar with her. Atusa, a graduate of Barnard College, is the former editor-in-chief of Cosmo Girl and Seventeen Magazines. She is currently the author of Atusa Unedited on Substack, an activist, a mother, a mentor to many, and so much more. Please welcome Atusa Rubenstein. Hello. Hello there. So excited to be here. Well, we have so many things that we want to ask you, but I want to start back in the 90s when you were the editor-in-chief of big magazines and magazine editors were like the ultimate girl bosses, right? Powerful, well, well paid, invited to every single party. Um, I'd love for you to just kind of paint a picture of what that era was like for some of the folks listening who, you know, may only know of like journalism and magazines as they are now and not like in the mm. glory days when you were, you know, when you were editor in chiefing. In the in the 13 going on 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. So I'm like I'm late 90s and then 2000s. But yeah, you know, it's interesting because it was everything that little girls kind of dreamed of it being, you know, as an editor in chief. I did have my hair and makeup done every day. I could wear kind of, I had, I had a clothing allowance, right? So I could pick my own clothes and, and my company would pay for it. But also I had a lot of stuff from designers. When it was Christmas, I'd get a bag from Chanel. And like, literally, like I got so much Christmas stuff so many incredible Christmas presents. My family at Christmas like could give two shits about what we were exchanging. They just wanted to know like, what am I bringing? Cause it would be like a mother load. I would show up with things that were, you know, really, um, very kind of HOT. Um, yes, there were a lot of parties. I remember I, I had a thing, <laughs> I had this thing. I wouldn't go to any party unless I knew the host. So like, that was the way that I'd have to kind of edit down what I would go to and what I wouldn't go to. And uh, it was a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Having said that, I remember even at the moment, you know, a lot of times we, in retrospect, can reflect and see things in a different way. But I remember even in the moment, getting ready to go to, could have been the Met Ball, 
fill in the blank, one of those things that are, you know, to the outside world, very enviable. And even within the inside world, like, yeah. like the Met ball wasn't something that everybody got a ticket totally. to. It was <laughs> expensive. And even very senior level people would only be at, say, the after party. Yeah. And I remember getting ready to go, I was rushing and I was sweaty. And I, I remember thinking, wow, when I was a little girl, like this is what was considered a ball. Like I remember Cinderella and like, you know, as a little girl, you're like, I want to go to a ball. And when you go to a ball, it's going to feel like this. And this is the modern day ball. And I was like late and I was sweating and I was stressed and I didn't give a shit. Like I just was like, <laughs> like, do I reek, you know, or or another time going to the Met Ball and having a broken leg. It was broken in three places. But like, I no, actually that time it wasn't broken in three places. I think just two. But going on crutches in my gown because there was somebody I wanted to see at the ball to ask them to do something. And I knew that would be, that would be like my only opportunity with them. So my point is like, yes, yes to everything. Check, 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 check. Everything you could ever imagine. But how it feels from the inside experiencing those things is quite different than one would expect. Yeah. Well, fun fact for those listening, I reconnected with the Tusa because I literally fangirl DM'd her on Instagram. I was like, oh my God, I used to intern in magazines when you were like an editor-in-chief and on the show. Was your show on MTV? Yeah. Correct. Uh -huh. What was it called? It was 17 girl. It was MTV's Miss 17. Miss 17. Miss Watched 17. every episode. Literally. So, so anyway, so I was. So did, Re so did Rihanna, by the way. I was on a red carpet with her once and she was like, oh, it's you. And I was like, oh no, yeah. confusing me with someone else. We've never met. She's like, Miss 17 apparently is like the hugest show in yeah. Barbados at the time. Oh it, well, for our, I mean, she's a, she's your, I think she's exactly your age, Rebecca, but for like the yeah. millennial. It's good to have something in common with Rihanna. I know anything in common, <laughs> but for the millennial woman, like my, you know, I was in college interning at different magazines, but like very aware of that, like was reading every magazine and looking at these women on the pedestal and being like, oh my God, like this is the dream, right? So I'm curious, like, did you always know that you wanted to work in journalism? You know, we like to kind of give people behind the scenes of how people got to where yeah. they are, where they've been. Um, so was this something that you always knew? Like, I want to be a magazine editor or how did you get to journalism? Well, you have to remember, I grew up at a time where there was no internet. Right. So I only knew what was available as a career as a young person as to what I would see around me. Although I read magazines, I didn't have the disposable income to have a subscription. So it would be like they were very coveted if I had some extra money or somehow usually I get it through somebody. So it'd be like three or four months old, but it didn't matter. I would just pour over it. But to me, that wasn't a viable career option. And so when I went to college, I just thought, like my mom would say in the ways that our parents give us these backhanded compliments, like you have a big mouth, like you can be an attorney or a lawyer. And I was like, oh, I have a big mouth. I can be an attorney. But I kind of hated school. And I was the kid who would sit there, even though I went to a good school, I'd be sitting there in class and I'd be reading magazines under the table. And 
under the desk. And there was a moment between my sophomore and junior year where I had to have a come to Jesus of, am I really going to try to go to law school? (laughs) Like, this isn't fun at all. And I heard of, there was an internship at Rolling Stone through my career services office. And I was like, "Mm, that sounds good. And I applied for it. I got it. And literally like a few days before I started, I called to confirm, you know, starting on this date. And the guy was like, well, actually Jan Wenner's niece or nephew really needed an internship and we had to give the person your spot. So, you know, you're out of luck. The person was very nice how they said it, but I was, um, you know, although my mom said I had a big mouth in terms of the outside world, I was an extremely compliant, like, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't have the words to be like, that's not fair. I just was like, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. And then I was back to square one and I, I got, I ended up getting a PR internship. And so I wouldn't say like at that point, I just was like, let me get closer to doing something that feels interesting to me because as a, first of all, dyslexic, but I've never been interested in school. I just wasn't. School was just something I had to do in order to, I don't know, be a part of my family, I guess. It just was part of the the plan. And, um, and then once I got into that PR internship, then suddenly I was like, oh, I just have to get close to this. Like whatever this is, I wasn't thinking, and I'm going to be blah, blah. I couldn't have imagined it. Um, I just worked so hard because what I knew is I didn't want that other life, that boring life. And this was so exciting. And then, you know, as I got I I was also, there's some level of delusional thinking, you know, in, I remember in sophomore year, this is before I was actually working at magazines, but I knew I was kind of interested. I would send emails or not, there was no emails. I would send letters, like handwritten letters to like people like Stephen Mizell. And I would say, and for your readers who don't, or listeners who don't know Stephen Mizell, especially at the time, literally the number one photographer in the world at a time where that really mattered a lot more than it does today. And here I am, this (laughs) dorky girl and, you know, sophomore year in college. And um, I just was like, I'd love to do some, I love your work. I'd love to do some test shoots with you. Um, as a stylist, and he's like working with Linda Evangelista, for <laughs> City Cropper. You know what I mean? It was just ridiculous. But I didn't even think it was ridiculous. I was just was like, "Get me! I want to get in there." And I have no, I have no in. So I tried to create my own in. I love that. I love that. Um, but but like you know that that there's like this kind of legendary story that's true that my senior year in college, right after graduation day, I got two phone calls, one from 17 and one from Cosmo. And it just sort of goes to show like people always want to make the exact right choice at the right moment. And they overstress what that choice is. And I've read that on both of your, you know, Instagram accounts, that that's something that your clients struggle with. And I, again, sort of being a little bit shy and compliant with outside people, I went on both interviews. Ultimately, I got both job offers, 
But Cosmo offered it first. I would have far rather worked at 17. It was like kind of had more cachet at the time to me. But because Cosmo offered it first, I didn't know I could say, let me get back to you and check in with 17. I just said yes. And then when I called to take my name out of 17, they offered me that job with more money in order to get me to say yes to go to 17. And I felt, again, being very compliant that I could not call Cosmo and renege. And so there was a part of me that was like, wow, I think I fucked that one up. And ultimately, had I gone to 17, there's no way that five years later, I would have been editor-in-chief. You know, five years after graduating high school, uh, college, I was editor-in-chief of Cosmo Girl. Wild. And then five <laughs> years later, I was editor-in-chief at 17. Wow. Had I done what I, you know, had that mistake, quote-unquote mistake, not happened, I wouldn't have been an editor-in-chief in five years. So I think sometimes we have to, like, allow the mystery of life to also unfold Mm. and not try to control everything because sometimes we're wrong. Yeah. Oh, good lesson. I'm right myself. (laughs) Yes. It's funny how things work out, right? When you look it back. is. And the mystery is important. I think especially people who would hire someone like you guys or or be listening to a podcast about how to, you know, have the life that they want. They're they're kind of type A, you know, and they want to go for it and they want to control things and they want things to be the way they want. But mystery is everything in my life, honestly, like obviously it has a backbone of hard work and commitment, but the big stuff always has mystery attached to it that had nothing to do with me per se. I just was ready for it because I I put in the elbow grease. For sure. For sure. Well, you had a absolutely meteoric rise from graduating college to becoming editor-in-chief of Seventeen Magazine. And something that you talk a lot about on your Substack, Achusa Unedited, and on your social media accounts is that you made the really tough decision to eventually step back from those roles and kind of, as you just said, embrace the mystery of life, not really knowing what was going to come next. What prompted you to make that what I would assume was a pretty difficult decision. Not difficult. Ooh, and that's, the, that's the key. Yeah. I feel like that's the key. And that's what I try to really impress upon people is that the right choice is usually not difficult. It's, it's like, I always sort of make the comparison of when an apple's ready to come off the tree, you don't have to fucking yank it. You just like twist it and it pops off. I was, I had achieved the things that I knew I wanted to achieve. I wanted to be an iron chief. I loved what I did at 17 in terms of just metrics, like the things that I was able to bring to my jobs, like a plus check, check, check. Great. Um, they had offered me a position that was very coveted and very prestigious. And I would say possibly the most prestigious, one of the most prestigious jobs in the industry. And I found that as I looked at the industry, because this was the beginning of the end, Mm -hmm. no one was calling it. But when you're on the inside, you feel it. To me, even the advent of Gawker was a was a sign that our beautiful, vibrant industry was in decay, that the assistants and the lower level people who in the past would have been just like in the middle of the most exciting things possible had enough time to sit there and write dumb shit 
into Gawker. You know what I mean? Like when I was an assistant, I was like living the life. I don't mean that I was, it was a luxe life, but it was vibrant and interesting and it was no longer that. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at the job that they were kind of wanting me to go into. And it was a job I had previously said was my dream job. And I was looking at the state of the industry and our company. And I was looking at that particular magazine and how they were like having to cut their messenger costs. And, you know, editors were like running clothes from like the office to, you know, in order to cut costs. And to me, to me, what I learned from people who were my mentors, like Donald Robertson and Bonnie Fuller, I remember when I first got my job at Cosmo, Donald called me and a Cosmo girl as editor in chief. He said, they will never fire you for spending too much. They will only fire you for not doing a good enough job. And I didn't want to be, and it's true. Like I asked them, I said, Hey, can we create art or is this going to be about penny pinch? Like, you know, I, I didn't say penny pinching, but I said, is this a bottom line oriented project? And just based on what they said, I read through the lines that like, it was going to be what it has become, which is like a sausage factory. And, you know, I don't fucking run a sausage factory. That's not what I do. I'm dyslexic. You know what I mean? Like I am about creating art and like doing interesting things. And I care so much about the audience. And I just was like, I don't want that to be my legacy. And um, I had also at the time, courtesy of Gawker and the New York Times, a lot of people were blowing so much sunshine up my ass. Even Gawker in saying bad things about me had created a star where I was being spoofed Mm -hmm. on SNL and you know, I was on Charlie Rose and, you know, it was a different, it was, so I kind of believed that I was uh, almost bigger than my brand, which in some ways I was. And so on one hand, I knew this industry was going in the wrong direction. Um, I also knew my personal life was going in the wrong direction. And one thing that I've written about and that, you know, I'll share here with you is Months before I decided, just a few months before I decided, maybe even month before I decided to get, you know, stop, I had had to have an abortion uh, from an extramarital affair. And I remember in that moment, that was like, I had had affairs and I, you know, been like kind of, you know, all my life I was a fast girl, right? Like if you talk <laughs> to people from college, they'll be like, oh my God, the, girl, <laughs> the outfits that girl would wear. Like I was always fast and that was me, you know, in some in, in many different ways. As in, so I continued to be that girl. But when I had to terminate the pregnancy that was from an affair, I had to look at myself and really just be honest about, are you okay? Like, it, it might seem to the world that you're on top of it, but are you really? And like, I knew the answer was no. And I didn't know the depth of the no. I didn't know the whys. I didn't, I knew I had been sexually abused as a young person. Obviously, I had full awareness of that, but I didn't know the depth to which it was impacting me. And I just knew on a professional level, this place was not going in the right direction. On a personal level, this person wasn't going in the right direction. And so it was very easy 
And, and I, you know, did a little TEDx talk about that. And so I couldn't have guessed, like for a year, I thought like I can deal with the personal stuff and like launch professionally. And I had all these famous agents and opportunities. And what would happen is I would get like, let's say VH1 wants to do a show about you and your next chapter. Seems like slam dunk, right? But at the time VH1 was very big. And I was like, I'd talk, I'd talk, I'd talk, and then ah, I wouldn't do it. I'd get a book deal, right? There'd be a book auction. I would not sign the deal because they wouldn't um, agree in writing to giving me gilded pages with a beveled edge <laughs> and a ribbon like a Bible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I was noticing my agents were kind of getting mad at me. And at one point, I turned to my husband. And I was caught in my own ego of like, I'm right. Of course, I should get this in writing that they'll give me the beveled edges. And I said to my husband, you understand why I this is my vision. I need my vision in paper. And he just looked at me and he was like, Atusa, it really doesn't sound like you want to be in business. Because when someone wants to write a book and someone else wants to pay them a lot of money to write a book, they write the book. Yeah. And in retrospect, I'm so glad I didn't. Because I was coming, plenty of people write books from wounded places and pretend like they have all the answers. You know what I mean? We know a lot of We've read a few. We know. them on Instagram. Oh, yeah. But that was not my path. And that is not who I am on the inside. And like, had I continued to move forward, I would have had a credit to my name called Alpha Kitty's Guide to Having It All. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And no offense to the person I was then, but I am glad that what my husband said landed and I just unplugged everything from there. I was like, oh my God, this is all a fucking game. Like, this is, I'm not ready to do anything. And I didn't know what I would do, but I knew I needed to like refocus because I wasn't moving forward. You know what I mean? Like it was a charade. I'd go to LA, I'd get these opportunities. I wouldn't do any of them. What was I waiting for? I don't know. I, I was waiting to, to, to take a break. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You ask questions. No. I answer. No, oh. you're amazing. You're amazing. No, this is amazing. Like, yes. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more. No. So you stepped back and then you've spent many years basically rebuilding from the inside out. And so you obviously, you know, we can't fast track healing. It'd be cool if we could in some respects, but, you know, I'm sure there are some people out there listening who feel like they're in a similar situation as you were. So what did you learn during this healing journey? What modalities did you lean into? And is there anything that you would recommend to folks out there? Well, you know, it's interesting. Eventually I kind of, I got into healing and I would call self-exploration as intensely as I was into fashion and then mm. magazine, you know, all of that. Like I've been really, really focused on it. It's my number one priority. And I mean, obviously my children are, but even my children would say that they are very aware that my inner life and internal exploration, both for myself and for them is number one. And I would just say, you know, first of all, I have, I think it's important to acknowledge that the ability to stop it all and to stop bringing in that kind of income and 
that's an enormous privilege. Most people cannot stop and do what I did because they need that paycheck. And so I just want to just be very aware of that. And in some ways, like where, when I was at the magazine, particularly the teen magazines, it was a time and an opportunity for me to reflect on my teenage years and the past 16 years or so that I haven't been working, I've been almost like really living life fully so that I can, in my next professional sort of chapter, reflect on all of this. Because during that time, I've experienced parenthood. I've experienced loss. I've experienced divorce. I've experienced him cheating on me. I've experienced a lot of things that people experience. And because I haven't had a job, I've had this incredible luxury and it doesn't feel like a luxury when you're on your fucking bathroom floor, like (laughs) crying. Yeah. But I've had the privilege of fully, fully feeling every single one of those things in the best, but usually honestly in, in the depths of difficulty. And so in terms of modalities, You know, I've done a lot of things. I've done almost everything. You can name it. I've done it. I can tell you that the most important things that have changed my life have been meditation. And when I say meditation, everybody just like puts fucking potatoes in their ears, right? And they're like, because everybody knows like eating plant-based and, you know, doing meditation is the right thing. So it's like, it turns into Charlie Brown's teacher's voice. Like, well, because they don't want to fucking hear about that. All we sometimes feel that way. Yeah. All they want to say is I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. And like, here's what I have to say. And I know Amanda, you, you feel this very deeply and, and Rebecca, I'm sure you do too, but it's not about meditating when you are having a tough time. A lot of people are like, yeah, I do that when I'm really struggling. No, it's like brushing your teeth yeah. when, you know, when you have pain and expecting to have good oral hygiene. <laughs> no, you have to brush your teeth every day to avoid that. And even then it's not about avoiding pain, but rather creating a container that gives you some space with it um, to flow through whatever life is throwing. So daily meditation, number one. Um, Number two, like crazy one, fucking homeopathy. Energy medicine is really like, like people think homeopathy, again, want, 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 yeah, natural, whatever. No, to have a constitutional remedy, which is your energetic vibration to take when you're feeling like not good, It is a game changer. People don't know how important energy is. We know about the physical body, like eating right or exercising. People talk a lot about that. We're talking more about meditation and yaya. But like energy medicine is kind of, to me, it's kind of everything. I also, to that end, and I probably wouldn't talk about it too deeply here, but plant medicine is a very important part of, I think, breaking out of patterns that can feel like a double bind in our lives. And, and just in general, you know, like there's just a lot of 
insights that have come to me. And the most important one, I would say, if I was going to give people one insight from all of this time, and there's a lot of mini ones, one big one is to not be afraid of hard feelings. Everything that happens to us from being stuck to feeling bad physically, emotionally, comes from holding back like real authentic feelings that we're supposed to go through. And it is a luxury and a privilege to be able to feel those feelings. But I believe it's a luxury and a privilege we should offer ourselves and not only think of luxury and privilege as things that we buy ourselves, that this is a form of self-care. You know, a lot of people think that self-care is just getting a mani-pedi and massage. And I think those are, those are nice. But if you go back to the kind of care that children need that they don't get is when they fall, parents are always so afraid. They want to say, get back up, get back up. You're okay. You're okay. Mm-hmm. And so they learn at a, we learn at a very young age that it's not okay to cry and it's not okay to feel bad. And then we wonder why we're all on antidepressants and, and stuff, because when those bad feelings come, we just want to stave them off. Yeah. And I would just say that the most important part of self-care is to love yourself through hard feelings, allow them to be expressed so that they can leave your energy system. And, and that, again, it feels sometimes the most important advice is the stuff that we actually don't want to hear. Because there's also this other thing, which is many of us are committed to maintaining the status quo of our childhood. And that status quo is often chaotic. Um, And so we'd rather, you know, do a cleanse or, you know, do something that's punishing ourselves rather than the things that I think are, are ultimately nourishing. I'm sorry. I, I did it again. I started. Yeah. No, it's perfect. You know that you and I are soul sister, spiritual warriors on that point. Mm-hmm. I love what you share. I think it's so important. What I love about what you share is that you are not afraid to talk about the hard stuff, the dark stuff, the painful stuff. And yet you're so fun and at your energy is just so you're living life fully and it shows and it shows through. And so my question on that is recently ish, you decided to sort of reemerge launching your Substack, getting your social channels up, which I'm so glad that you have, because obviously that's why you're here. That's why we are, you know, speaking. What was like the little ping or what prompted you to be like, all right, now's the time I want to start sharing. Yeah, it, it wasn't like that. And, and I think that kind of goes back to you know, nothing in life is the way we expect it to be. You know, when I first came back on social media, so I was completely off social media because people would reach out to me via social media for different job opportunities. And even though I knew I didn't want to work, and even though some of the jobs, it could be like Maxim in touch, <laughs> like literally the last brands on earth you would consider me for, because I'm kind of so like touchy-feely, nerdy, and pretty squarely interested only in women um, and helping girls and women, um, I would still 
entertain it in my thoughts. I just couldn't help it because, of course, being planted at home with a little kid, for somebody like me who really likes to be engaged, it was hard and it was boring, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. And so I'd be like, well, I, I can do Maxim, right? Like maybe I can make it more empowered. Like I wouldn't necessarily have that conversation with them, but it would be a distraction from what I knew inside was the right path for me. Yeah. So I went completely off social media so that essentially those who knew me best could edit whether they would come to me because people would go to them and then just that remove helped me and they protected me. And then one day, multiple people, it wasn't on one day, but it was the course of like over a week or so. I got multiple emails and texts from close friends and colleagues saying, have you heard of this thing called Thank You Atusa? And, you know, I was just like, oh, geez, what's that? Like, (laughs) I'm hearing it like sarcastically, like, thank you, Atusa, middle finger up. Um, And I didn't know. And they were like, oh, you should just take a look at it. I didn't even know how to do Instagram or how to look up. I didn't know how to do anything. And maybe on someone else's computer, I looked at it so that I could understand. And I was like, it like kind of actually took my breath away. Because when I left the industry, I got so immersed in my own stuff. I didn't even, I really didn't, I never looked at the magazines. I just assumed, you know, like just the same for me, like when there would be a new editor, like that they just moved on, you know what I mean? And I was like, wow, I had an impact. It didn't even occur to me that I had an impact. Being 25 editor-in-chief, just, you know. No, but like to the girl. Yeah. Like yeah. Some of them came to New York to get to media. And like, it makes me cry to think about it. But that moment, like I was going through a really hard time. My house had been, we found out that we had toxic spoiling mold. I had moved my children out. One of my children had been diagnosed with autism, but it was because of, because of the constellation of symptoms, ultimately because of the mold, wow. it wasn't autism. Another one was in severe respiratory distress. Like my family was in shambles. This is right the beginning of the end of my marriage. And I saw this thing and it was like, I couldn't believe it. And so then I I signed up for the girl, um, Casey, uh, who runs Thank You Atusa, she had like a tiny letter and I signed up for it uh, because it was on email and I wasn't on social. And she wrote me back immediately. And she said, is this really you? Is this who I think it is? (laughs) You made her life complete. No, she made mine. (laughs) And so, and so she actually helped me. I remember I was like, okay, I'm going to go on Instagram and I didn't know how to use it. And so I'd be like texting her like, hi, Casey, um, is this right? And like, is this how I do Instagram? Like when I tell you it was like a grandmother, I had zero social media experience. I actually used a typewriter when I was a Cosmo girl. So like, I, I'm just not a technical person. And so it was baby steps. And I just went on Instagram and I just tried to learn how to put a post up and then and then the Substack thing, just again, I felt after my divorce, like I just, I had something I wanted to share. It was an idea that I thought was so important. 
which is that love, external love, cannot happen without internal love. And it was something that I learned, like, for realsy, like, firsthand. Uh, and I felt, oh, I have to share this. I could share it with no, I mean, two people. I just didn't know who I wanted to share it with. I didn't know what platform. And so I called, again, th- these kids that were high school kids when I was editor-in-chief, they had come on a behind-the-scenes tour of Seventeen, but we kept in touch, and they were now big people in media. And I said, hey, I, I kind of just want to say something. I don't even know how to say it. And they were like, okay, so Substack is the coolest thing right now. It's very hot. Um, and I was like, okay, I've never heard of it, but I can learn. Same as with the Instagram. And so then I just wrote a letter. I didn't know what it was going to be. And so to, none of it has been planned. I don't consider myself as having really be working yet because it's not like I have a steady income. You know, I make like a group tiny bit of money from Substack, really insignificant, but I'm also not even gearing my Substack to making money. I'm just trying to learn through Instagram, through Substack, what is the sort of like the contaminator of this new media world? Um, None of my former colleagues are really at my level are, they kind of, they were much older than me. So they've kind of gone off and maybe they're writing books or retired or, you know, they're not necessarily in this world. So I'm just trying to understand so that one day I hope I can get messages out there again. But I, you know, it's very much work in progress. It's very humbling. Um, Even just this week, I was like, well, I feel maybe I should go to graduate school. Maybe I should learn something that could be additive. You know, I don't know. Um, and that's the place I sit in. And and that's the place I, I just want to just let people know that there is a location in life called I don't know. Mm. And I think we all are so afraid that we want to yeah. give an answer. And it reminds me of Atusa who left 17, the person that I was that kind of feels like an another person who was going from meeting to meeting and at the, you know, the Beverly Hills hotel and peninsula and taking meetings and taking meetings. And I felt like I need to know who am I and what I'm doing. And like, the truth is right now, I don't know. And I think, I hope that it is from this place of, I don't know that the cup is somewhat, you guys have the full cup thought, you know, that's your business. But right now my cup is empty in some ways not in terms of self-care, as you know, because I nap like every fucking day and (laughs) um, take care of myself in so many ways. But in terms of what's next for me and a plan, my cup is empty. And and I hope, you know, I hope it will be full. It is my intention to be contributing again in terms of, you know, dialogue with women. I care a lot about it. But maybe I won't. Maybe it's I'll help younger people. You know, I I don't know. I have no idea. Even in sharing that, it's so it's it's actually quite a brave stance to share because you know the the kind of prevailing wisdom or the prevailing uh, tenor of social media, et cetera, is everyone being so branded. This is my brand. These are my pillars. This is my box. I only talk about these things, and you are so comfortable being open about things that you know about yourself, things that you don't know about yourself. I sense that some of that comes naturally to you or perhaps was kind of gained during your time spent really deeply rooted. I mean, meditation helps with that. 
for people who really want to show a more true, honest version of themselves, right? And are maybe trapped a little bit in the like, well, like, is this going against my brand? Or like, will people judge me? Do you have any advice to help people find their true voice, get comfortable sharing their true voice, their true story? Because uh, personally, I think the, the world and the internet needs a lot more of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the first step is to stop putting so much pressure on on yourself. You know, I think that with pressure comes, you know, even when you look at the face of someone who's under a lot of pressure, they're just like fucking jammed up. With pressure comes the sense of being jammed up. And is it okay if you're on You know, is it okay if, if you're, I had to get to this place. Is it okay if I'm just a woman who lives on West End Avenue? I have three children and I take them to school <laughs> and I pick them up. Is that okay? If that's all there is, is that okay? And part of real self-love and acceptance is that's okay. And then from there, you're less kind of pressurized to be a certain thing and then you can just kind of be yourself you know for me you're right that it's kind of natural in that being other you know as an immigrant as a dyslexic as someone who certainly doesn't look like the typical american person you know all my life i've had to be even when i was an intern right despite being like the like all the superlatives people say before my name. When I was an intern, I was considered a sassy to be uncool. And they kind of, some people weren't nice to me. And even when I was at the height of my popularity, like as an editor success, like people from sassy would like say mean shit about me in the press. Like, I mean, I, I don't begrudge that. That's all armoring. But like, I just think that the more we can peel off our armoring and, you know, this is something I tell my own teenager because of course today I've, I, I have kids that are basically of the age of the magazines that I used to edit. And what I tell them, which is hard because the toughest place to be unarmored is middle school, right? Oh, brutal. And, and what I tell her, and she is this way, is the ultimate, ultimate strength is vulnerable. When you show your soft belly and you say, you want to kick me? Go right here. That is fucking, that's baller. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and not everybody can get there, but if you can get to the place of, of really just sort of loving and accepting of yourself, I think that that's, that's where you get there and like the second you start thinking about somebody's like well what about my branding like yo bro back it up what the fuck are you saying are you listening to yourself like can we be human beings first i believe that we're you know we've had this really interesting time in culture and media where it's become very democratized and the girl next door is the influencer next yeah. door but i think we're all starting to be sick of that diet of pirate's booty it's not you know we all want that right who like raise your hand if you haven't like i i do sometimes like i'll just like 
go to town on like my kids' snacks, right? Like I'll have like I a cool ranch Doritos moment. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, enough. Thank you. I've had enough. And and I think we're starting to get there. We're starting to see that these people who are quote unquote influencers are maybe not that knowledgeable or not, maybe not sending us in the right directions. Like it used to be with magazines, everything was vetted. You yeah. had really the top writers, reporters working with the top experts. And now we have people who, you know, just have interesting life experiences and opportunities, you know, being experts. And I think surely they they have some expertise. It's not to diminish them either. But I think we're ready for instead of like a know-it-all culture and an I don't know it all culture. Mm, and yes. and love that. In, in being an I don't know it all culture. I think it opens us up for community. It opens us up to support each other. It opens us up to cheer for each other as yeah. opposed to competing with each other for who knows. Yeah. You know, I find myself really assessing in relationships that are dysfunctional in my life because we don't get to choose every relationship we have. Some of them are in our lives because we made choices 25 years ago um, <laughs> and, uh, within our families. And I noticed like some people, it's more important for them to be right than to be in loving relationship. And like, I just would, I just like, these are things we should just sit with. It's not about making one change. It's about just sitting, like as Rilke says, like you sit with the questions yeah, and then you kind of eventually little by little live your way into the answers. But I think there is no quick fix for it. But I think, you know, if anybody is wondering if it's right for my brand, I just think that's innately like a douchey way to think. And like, let's, let's just stop being douchebags and like, you know, embrace that none of us know, you know, nobody knows. We're all trying. Like you guys launched your podcast today and you're so excited about it. And even though you're coaches that tell people, you know, the best way to live their lives, you're nervous. You're like, yay. Yeah, go totally. Oh life. my God, are people going to like us? Yeah. And behind that yay is like fear and, yeah. you know, you the all normal feeling. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we'll tell you a funny story about right before we recorded is that speaking of I don't know it all culture, I found out that I've been using my headphones entirely wrong this entire time, but it's kind of, you put something out there, you learn as you go, you figure it out as you go, and it's all good. Yeah. It's the beginner's mind from Buddhism, right? You have to have the beginner's mind. Otherwise you you're hardened and you're calcified and there's no joy. There's no exploration. There's no awe. There's no giggles, right? It's just like, here I am and my brand and isn't my brand so beautiful and <laughs> I think also I the other piece of it is even like phrases like beginner's mind or concepts like Buddhism that you know I know resonate for you and definitely resonate for me like I think people just everybody just wants to take a concept and apply it to their lives and the one thing like I would just say is like you have to start where you are at and it's not about taking this from outside and applying it to you, but just stay with you, mm. stay with yourself. Like what is really hard for you in any given moment and 
and might have nothing to do with your brand. Like for me, you know, it really, when I left my job, I had all of these sort of strategies in place because I had been sexually abused. So what mid thirties woman is necessarily like making, like you think it's career based and like whatever it is you have to work on is career based, but sometimes it really has nothing to do with that. And the implications might show itself in how you show up in your career, but it's really kind of older stuff. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I love this. I don't know it all culture. We are here for it. We are going to help cultivate it. Let's the three of us and anyone else listening, hold hands and just go out there and not know what we don't know, such as how to use a headphone set. (laughs) Um, It is what it is. So, um, you know, in a world where 30 under 30 is celebrated, we freaking love that you are living it up at 51, still openly figuring it out. What advice do you have for people who are 30, 40 somethings? We talk to them all the time who fear that they've missed the boat, that it's just too late. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that because I was, you know, 30 under 30 and 40 in the 40. Like I got all of those awards and I was definitely not living my best life. (laughs) You know, so that's the one thing that I think that younger people today seem really stressed and what they're missing is they've actually figured out things that are far more important to well-being and true happiness and joy than previous generations. So like the girl boss generation, I don't know if I'm the girl boss generation. I might've been, I might be the beginning of it, but we maybe racked a bunch of, you know, a lot of accolades and awards, but at what cost? And what I'm noticing about younger people today who do kind of put their self-care and their lifestyle and their own happiness first is they might worry that they're not doing the other thing. But I'm here to say the other thing actually has almost no value. Mm. It is, it's, it's just an illusion. You know, it's like, I can come to your house and say to you, you're 30 under 30. Or not, like it doesn't change your life in any way. Like I am, I have no job uh, right now. I have no interest in revenue stream, like of any worthiness, like in terms of real life worth. I am 51, as you said. Um, my body is not the same. <laughs> uh, and yet, I am so much happier than I was at the height of my career. So I just would say like they're doing it in the opposite way. And I think if they can 
you know, we all need an outlet for our anxiety. Unfortunately, I think that's a very common thing. And this is a world, particularly with social media and technology, that creates anxiety within our energetic system. And so I think it makes a lot of sense for that anxiety to be fueled toward, well, I haven't made it yet. Um, I'm I'm not exactly where I want to be in my career. And I would just say, just be aware that that's just energy. That's just anxiety needing to sort of go through you. But in fact, if you can continue to focus on making choices for yourself that are healthy, like maybe we're all on that path together because that's been like a kind of an interesting thing about me. Although I am generation X, I am actually weirdly, it's almost like my life trajectory has been very millennial. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I am like many millennials now trying to figure like the reverse yeah. of how can I have this happy lifestyle and now have a career. Full cup, um, full plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, it's a little complicated because I'm going through a divorce. It's like not, you know, an easy thing to go through. So I feel like my bandwidth is taken up by being present for my children and present for all of that sort of kookaloo stuff. (laughs) But once that's done, I really want to, you know, figure out like how I can feel that I'm making a contribution um, in a way that maintains this piece that I have. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to see next for you. We are so excited. And you know, there's any way that we can support you. And remember, the only thing that might be next is nothing. Yeah. More happiness. (laughs) More happiness. This may be the very last (laughs) thing I ever do. Going back underground, guys. We're lucky we squeezed this one in. (laughs) Who knows? Who knows where you live? But at the same time, can we be open to magic? Yeah. So that's Ooh, like really, <laughs> that's the thing I would just tell everybody is, can we loosen our grip so the magic can flow? Yes. Um, yes. Well, I think that that's a beautiful place to end. You know that we could just go on and on with you, but we do have three rapid fire questions that we ask yeah. everyone if you are down. So the first yeah. is, Atusa, what is your best tip for working smart? to accept your style of working and some people they are fucking slow and if you can stop punishing yourself for not working smart you're working smart for you and i think if we can just be bespoke about everything like tailor it to you working smart is working smart for you and like for me i am really slow because I'm dyslexic. And so it takes me time to process. And I want other people to sort of accept. (laughs) Somebody's dog. It's Amanda's Amanda's dog, money. Money, money is resonated. Money is like, yes, slow down people. But But that's what I mean about putting labels like working smart. Can we just throw that out the window? Some people like to like procrastinate and they do their best work like a psychopath at the end. And that's okay too. Beautiful. And then what is your best tip for working happy? I know you don't like labels, but these are questions. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's all good. Working happy. 
well, if you're happy, you're working happy. You know what I mean? Like it's to be happy is to really, again, acknowledge what do you need? If you're somebody who needs a nap instead of judging yourself, go to bed, cancel the appointment. Like nothing, like I always say to people, if you got hit by a car and were hospitalized, you'd miss the meeting and everything would be okay. Let's not need life to intervene. Take a nap. That's what makes me work happy. You know, I'm on team Napa too. So, <laughs> so and my last question is, where can our listeners find you? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Uh, Atusa, atusa.substack.com is where I have a substack. Um, and I'm on Instagram, Atusa Rubenstein. And this sounds cuckoo, but they can also email me. I'm atusa at atusa.com. Like for me, it's just about being in community and I'm not looking to like, I don't need followers, not because I have so many, but because I'm just really looking for community um, that's as engaged as possible. And that is why we love you so much. We are so grateful that you came on today. Literally, you, I could listen to you talk forever. I think a podcast of your own, like more, more Atusa talking should be in store in the future. Just dropping that into the universe. We'll see what the magic has to say about it, but thank you so much. And we, uh, we can't wait to hear what everybody thinks of this episode. Love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate, Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, find us on Instagram at Full Plate, Full Cup. That's at F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E-F-U-L-L-C-U-P or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com www.fullplatefullcup.com.